This is the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, ask for your blessing on this time in your word that you give me clarity, but that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that we would hear it, be taught by it, be strengthened by it, be fed by it. To the praise of your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thinking about what to choose for this passage, um, one I realized in, in going over uh, the archives here <laughs> and my computer as well, been pretty New Testament heavy, which is great. I love the New Testament. I'm a big fan of Paul's, and so that, that happens. But, but it's, I feel the pull always to come back to the Old Testament. Um, New Testament's kind of like jazz. You get the, the technical precision. You get all... It's wonderful. I love jazz. Jazz is great. Just wonderful scale of play. But sometimes we need, we need the thunder of the drums, the thunder of the horns. We need to, to be drowned out a bit great pipe organs. We're missing out. We need, we need all that here, right? Just bring all that back here. I haven't had them do that. We, we need to be overwhelmed at times by the grandeur of the Lord and of his kingdom. And I, I think the Psalms is a great place to go. It, not, just, not just because we need our ears to ring, but because I think even that display is just so valuable for us to help us see things rightly, to, to have a proper perspective of things. Um, and, that, and that leads into the other reason is that this is a been a challenging week for me. I was over in, the, in Pullman this week to help move my uncle into an uh, assisted living uh, facility. He's in the advancing stages of dementia now and going through the whole process of moving him from his home and his dogs and virtually you know, everything that he knows um, to a place that's unfamiliar in, in a setting where he is, all his neighbors are you know, this is their last place. And he felt for him. He just, he's sitting there, head down, just repeating, this is so hard, and this is so hard. It's like, what do you do with that? Where do you place that? And it brings up memories and associations of other families. My, my dad's been gone eight years now, and all these conversations about family and family history, and, and then naturally leading to reflecting on you know, my own mortality, the mortality of those who love, who I love. Um, there's a word that we use. It's a very, it's a word I don't think we appreciate how um, suitable it is, but overwhelm. 
to be overwhelmed, the, the, the history of that word was to be capsized, submerged by the waters. If you've been boating at all, um, you know something of that. Just water has this ability to just come over us, drown us, knock us head over heels. That's what it feels like to be overwhelmed. You get a sense that there's this psalm that we're looking at is understanding of that or reflecting some of that same, what do you do? Where do you go? How does this end? Um, and there's a, need, there's a need to come up for air. There's a need to reframe, to reset. We need something substantial. We need something real that we can bring to our fears and doubts. Um, it reminds me, as I was thinking about this, a picture that came to mind, I grew up in Tacoma, which is, which is a good confession. I'm not ashamed of that. Um, but, but one of the benefits of being growing up in Tacoma is that Mount Rainier, the mountain, was always there. It was just this constant presence in my life, wherever, wherever I went. And it was, you just knew. In fact, you knew it so well that you take it for granted. And then moved up to Bellingham area, and it, you know, now we have Baker, which you barely see, and it doesn't even compare. And then Eastern Washington. And it's, it's you, you start to forget what it's like to be raised in the shadow of Rainier. Until these last few years, we've gone on a hike with our students uh, to Goat Lake on the south, south central Cascades. And you, this long winding trail up through the mountains, and you get into some clearing, you can see St. Helens over here, and, and a little bit of the Pacific Coast Trail. You get up to camp, and then go up to this peak called Old Snowy, which is probably about a two hour, two hour hike up from the campground. And as you're working your way up the spine of Snowy, all of a sudden from behind the peak that, that Goat Lake is in the shadow of, Rainier just pops, just explodes into view. It, it really is breathtaking. Um, I, I think that's how the Psalms tend to function. It, it's not just, oh, there's God, but oh. You feel it. You, you, you don't just hear it. You don't just read it. You feel what the psalmist is saying there. Cue the drums. Cue the organ. Cue the horns. This is our God. I think that's, that's something what we need. Now this psalm is interesting. As I thought about it, one of the, one of the things that's interesting about the psalms is that they, they and if, I, if you spend, like I do, a lot of time in the New Testament, New Testament breaks down in a different kind of flow. So when you try to approach it sermonically, it has kind of a natural flow to it. The Psalms repeats, has different cycles, puts the summary at the beginning, it just moves all over the place. And so there's a lot of different ways in which you can handle it, but it's different than, than the New Testament writings. So I want to approach it from this angle. I want to approach this as a, as a threefold confession. This is what we believe. And it, it seems to start off that way, doesn't it? God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That's a confession. It's a confessional statement. I want to tease apart three, three things within this. Well, comment about confession first. Not simply stating something that's on a page, but this is what we believe. We believe these things to be true. The problem with that is sometimes the truth is hard. It's painful sometimes. We don't like it. We prefer to kind of tune out the truth because we don't want to face it. Well, that's what we faced with confession a little bit earlier. It's true, it's right, but we don't, it's not enjoyable. 
But at the same time, ignoring or avoiding or even denying the truth is a poor solution or no solution at all. So there's, there's some elements here that are not enjoyable to confess, but are necessary to confess, and all of them lead up to the, the climax, the, the crescendo at the end of this psalm, where, where God himself speaks that, that we'll get to. So let's, let's take a look at this. A threefold confession. First of all, it, it confesses something about this world that we find ourselves in. And second, it confesses, it's a confession about ourselves, and then lastly, about God. So let's start with the world. The first thing that this psalm leads us to confess is that oh, the world is a perilous place. Perilous place. There are dangers found in nature, and you can see this alluded to here in the in language, but, but and just leads with all sorts of it leads towards all sorts of associations, natural catastrophes of floods and droughts, of storms, of earthquakes. The world is, is untamable. It's unmanageable, it's unpredictable, it's mysterious. You know, danger is not just found in natural catastrophes, but, but you think in Scripture of how the different animals that were a danger to the people of their time, lions and bears and snakes and hornets, locusts, leviathan, whales. There, there was a, there was a, it was a world that was populated by things that were a threat, a regular threat, an ongoing threat. Not to mention sicknesses, the plagues. I mean, the one that all of us who were raised in a church remember, leprosy. How awful that would have been. And all the way, this, is, this haunted their world. The world is a dangerous place. It's a perilous place. And in those days, it, it just kind of added to this, this view of the world of, uh, like I said, of untamableness, of unpredictability, of mystery, of chaos, of disorder. The reason why we find so many different religious, religious beliefs and practices, so many superstitions, is that, that all of those held some promise, some degree of protection or control. If you, if you offer sacrifice to this God, then maybe we won't have a flood next time. Or if I, if I you know, baseball players are great for this. If I don't step on this line, I'll pitch a better game than if I don't. It offers control in an otherwise control, uncontrollable universe. We're constantly grasping for that. The problem is that we look at, the, well, or, or for example, the ancient maps where you have the land masses described and then the waters, which were just this picture of chaos and little labels like, here be dragons in the middle of the ocean. We don't know what's there. We know it's bad. We know you don't want to go there, but, but we don't know. The problem is that we look at the world with much different eyes today. We, we know more objectively, empirically. We've explored more. We were able to see farther and measure and understand and bring things to us in a way that they didn't. We have technology that, that also adds to this the sense that the world is much safer, much more comprehensible, much more controllable. The world's not as mysterious anymore. And sometimes it's not, we even reach a point where it's not mysterious at all, it's obvious. This happened because of that. Very simple cause and effect kind of relationships. And we're, not, we're not scared like they used to be. And that's, that's, I would say it's a good thing. And yet, in spite of that, in spite of that confidence, in, in spite of that sense of security, we're still reminded from time to time that our control has limits or, or is not even there. 
I remember just before we started our church up in, in uh, Bellingham, it was Boxing Day 2004. This massive tsunami just wiped its way across the Indian Ocean, killed over a quarter million people. It's just, all of a sudden you understand what chaos is again. We're so small. How do you stop that? What do you do if you're in the path of that? We, we lived in Japan for a couple of years, up in northern Japan, and I was in Africa at the time, but I remember when the, uh, the big tsunami in 2011 hit that region. Places where we had taken our students and visited were, were not just affected by this tremendous earthquake, but the tsunami that came and swept in there, and just like, we're so advanced. We're, we're, we know so much. We, we think that we have everything the way it ought to be, and then this happens. Look at what COVID's done to us. Look at, look at the things like, like cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's. We are powerless still before so much. And if we start to add that up a bit, the, the conclusion that you're going to start coming to is that we really aren't in control of all that much at, at, that we think we are. I can drive from here to Yakima in a couple hours, but whether or not something happens to us along the way is very minimally within my control of all the things that could happen. There are dangers. It's a perilous world that we live in. And then there's dangers from enemies. Israel lived under constant threat from a host of nations, Philistines, Babylonians, Assyrians, etc., often much larger, much better equipped than Israel. Israel was an agricultural, they were sort of nomadic people and an agricultural people. To think of them as a militarized nation for a good chunk of their history was a joke. Pitchforks and shovels. They were not a mighty, warring nation, not at least until the times of David. And not just the threat of attack, constant threat of attack, but also of destruction and of capture being taken away. There's also individual enemies. I mean, David, whose writings make up so much of the Psalter, had enemies abroad and enemies within his own circle of friends. He was hunted by Saul, the father of his best friend. He had people betray him along the way. He had sons who betrayed him along the way. He had enemies who didn't just speak poorly of him or give him a bad reference, but wanted to kill him. Again, we're, we're in a very different world than that. We belong to a large nation, not a small nation. We, we are a wealthy nation with unprecedented resources, unprecedented technology. We, this is not, a, this is not a, a song of praise to America. It's just a fact. There's never been a nation like this in the history of the world. It's scary to think about in some respects. And we are a powerful nation. People don't mess with us for a reason. We don't see the world in the same way that Israel did. And yet, and yet we may have many enemies still. Even though we can't relate in one sense, we can relate in another sense. There are, there are those who want to test us. There are certainly, we certainly face some of the same threats from others that they did that we have as a church, there are people who resent or even hate Christians or hate the church. 
Certainly that. Some of us may even have personal enemies, people who resent us or oppose us, maybe even motivated to hurt us in some way or another. And then we, this gets lost a bit in the Old Testament. It's just not as vivid or front and center as we find in the New Testament. But throughout, we have this great undying enemy that opposes us at every turn, who seeks to discourage us, to disarm us, to, to distract us, to destroy us, to turn us away from trusting God that we all face, that we all deal with. This is not home. This place is not safe in that respect. This world is perilous. And it's important for us to confess that. That's why we're frustrated when it doesn't turn out the way we expect it to. This isn't home. This isn't safe. This isn't what we're made for. It's, it's broken. It's dying. It's decaying. It raises its fist against God. Second confession has to do with us. It's the other, kind of the other half of, of the first confession. The world is dangerous and we are weak. On our own, we are no match. We find this theme everywhere in the Psalms. I mean, how many times are we reminded of our smallness, our weakness, our brevity, we're like grass, we're like vapor. I mean, if, if we have any great aspirations as humanity, Psalms just shouts us down. <laughs> Enjoy your half second. But you're gone, and another will take your place. And, and that's not even bringing up Ecclesiastes, good grief. This is a terrifying truth for us to confess. We have worked so hard We've worked so hard to make ourselves big and healthy and strong and long-lasting, haven't we? How many of us are driven by this, this idea of, I, we may not say it like this, but we, we, want to, we want to be something. We want to make our mark. We want to leave, our, leave a legacy. We want to be somebody. And that statement, you are weak, just stands opposed to that aspiration. It frustrates us. We don't want to be on the losing side of things. We don't want to be vulnerable. That's where weakness leads. We want, we want to make our lives monumental. We can't bear the thought of our lives not mattering. And to top it all off, we believe we've made progress. And we may have. We may have grown. We, as I said earlier, I mean, we are, we are so much further along than the, the times that, that the Psalms were written in, in so many significant ways. And yet, our weakness remains. We're different, we're advanced, better in some respects, and yet our weakness is still there. We still die. Left to ourselves, we have nothing that is able to save us. And yet that, that instinct, this, this is interesting because we understand that. I think as Christians, we understand that. We have nothing in and of ourselves. And yet that instinct, I mean, isn't it there in all of us to fall back on ourselves and our own resources when we're overwhelmed? It's so powerful. We, we can affirm all we want, that we believe in God and that, that we are settled in Him. And yet that impulse to scramble, to come up with 
solutions. Because what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come through? How can we trust him? How do you know? You say he can heal us. Why doesn't he heal? You say he can save us. Why doesn't he save? You say he can stop our enemies. Why doesn't he? And so we resort to ourselves, or we, we want to. One of, the, one of the challenges in a place like Africa where, where we have some friends ministering is they, they come to church and, and very sincere and serious about their faith, and they'll ask God, say, for a healing or something, and then after the service, they'll go to the witch doctor and they'll do what is necessary for them. We're no different. We just have a substitute for the witch doctor because that would be weird for us, but we still have that. We're still, we want to control, we want to dictate, we want to make sure that the outcome is certain in our own hands. No wonder we feel overwhelmed. That's the second confession, but this is the third, and this is, this is the important one. God is the strong defender of his people. Think about how he's described in this passage. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's our fortress. I like this one. It's one I, I, I didn't have time to explore, but I would love to think about a little bit more. He is our very present help. The very is there. Like, like, why, why add that, that adverb? Why, why, why put that there? There's, there's an emphasis that he is at hand. He is there. He is present. He is the one we can run to. He is where we are safe. That must be our confession. In spite of what we feel, in spite of what we're faced, in spite of the dangers out there, the weaknesses in here, this is true. This is what we confess. Or else what? Anything less, it becomes optional, right? And he can't be optional if we're overwhelmed. But think even broader, think throughout the rest of the Psalms, we see this Continued, this theme continued. He's our shield. He's our defender. He's our salvation. In the Psalms, salvation is not what, what we might think of in terms of the gospel, but salvation from our enemies, to be delivered from the hand of our enemies. But it's that same, he stands as our strong defender against the world because we are weak. You can run to him. You can find shelter in him. You must. You must. The point of that, the, the point of the psalmist saying that is it, it's saying in an indirect way or affirming in an indirect way that we are his. He's not just out there as a possibility. He's come to us. He claims us. He takes responsibility for us. He stands in between us and the dangers. He makes us safe. Remarkable picture, wonderful picture of, of his covenant devotion to us. But even, the psalm goes on, he does even more than just makes us safe. He not only protects us, but he also neutralizes the threat. He makes wars cease. He opens his mouth, the earth melts. 
which all this builds up to this crescendo in verse 10 where the psalmist finally lets the Lord speak for himself. And he says in a way that would reduce every refrigerator on which this magnet is placed to ashes. Be still. Be still. This is not just simply a message of peace. Chill out. It's okay. Don't worry about it. This is the proclamation of God speaking as God. This is the voice of the Creator. This is the King of Kings. Be still. Silence. Stop. I think it's the same voice that Jesus used when He spoke to the storm. Be still. Not, you're driving me crazy, you're giving me a headache. But the Lord is speaking now to His creation. There's an authority Maybe not even with the volume. There is an authority that speaks in spite of whatever volume you imagine that resonates, that rings, that demands to be obeyed and is obeyed. Be still. Now, it it raises the question here, at least in my mind, who's he talking to? I think there's two ways to answer that. I think actually, I think two ways that are are both true. I mean, clearly he's speaking to the dangers. He's commanding them to stop. He's standing up on our behalf. He is our defender. This is his function as a defender. But I think he's also speaking to us. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. There's nothing to fear here. I've got this. But he says more than just be still. He says be still and know that I am God. And then goes on this this couplet, I will be exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Again, raising the question, this is not simply to us. It's not just simply, or it's not just simply to us, or it's not just simply to the world. It's to both of us. He's speaking to the world. This is the proclamation. There's also a revelation. I am God, and there is no other. There's a sort of, if you think about it, there's, there's a sense in which God shrouds himself at times from the world. He lets them go on in their unbelief. He lets them go on in their misperceptions and their characterizations and caricatures of God and remains mute. Um, Because I'm Presbyterian, I think I get one obligatory Lord of the Rings reference. Um, Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings series. For the most part, even though we, we have a little bit of inside information that he's more than simply a traveler, to the characters in the story, he's just a ranger. He's just a ranger. He's resourceful, he's, he's human, he's good with a sword. Beyond that, you know, I don't know what he's good for. Just kind of this traveler, nomad, maybe not even trustworthy, but there are moments where when faced with the enemy, Tolkien tells us he reveals himself as the king. I'm not... I'm not Strider, I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn. This is who I am. And this seems to be one of those moments where God says, we're going to put all the silliness aside. I am God. There is no other. There is no one like me. Bring him up. Set him up in front of me. There's none like me. You have a God of the sun? I made the sun. You have the God of the oceans? I made the oceans. You have a God of the stars and the constellations? Guess who made them? 
There's none like me. Behold, I will be exalted. But he's also speaking to his people. He's speaking to people in a way that I want to be careful that this doesn't become, this is, that we don't turn this into a sharp rebuke. But I, I think it is a bit of a rebuke here. Our fear, our doubt, are as much a result of the threats and dangers that we face out there as they are, are a result of our failure to understand who God really is. And I would ascribe that in large part to our weakness, to the fact that we, with regards to God, keeping God in front of us, is, is like my story of Mount Rainier. There are times where the foothills and the trees and everything gets in the way and I start to forget what it's really like. It's just another mountain. He's just another God. I know he's there. I know where I can go to find him. But he's not here. He's not present. And, and because of the way that our, we tend to work, he diminishes in size over time, doesn't he? It diminishes in ability over time. If we're not, if we lose sight of the view, if we lose sight of the vista, if we only, if we only understood, if we only remembered who he really is, we would know that there's nothing to be afraid of. It's in the thundering of the Lord here that we are able to find real peace of heart, of mind, of soul. And so I, my prayer for us this morning is that we continue to seek this vista. We, we continue to come back to this place where we're reminded of who God is. There's all sorts of ways in which to cope or to avoid the things that overwhelm us. But, but this is where we have to be. This is where we have to come back to. We have to be reminded again. We have to hear the sound of the horns, the sound of the drums. We, we have to see it in its full glory. We have to hear it. We have to experience it in a way that, that we can safely talk as Presbyterians. Experience the majesty of our God as he's revealed in Scripture to settle us, to, to establish our footing to keep us from being overwhelmed and afraid. So, so that regardless of outcome, regardless of where, where the course of events that each of us has to face leads, we're not moved. Our, our greatest testimony as Christians is our hope is in the Lord. That is a tremendous testimony to the world at large because they have nothing my hope is in my health. My hope is in my strength. My hope is in my retirement account. My hope is in my friends. My hope is in all, all of that will just crumble away, won't it? Our hope is in the Lord. We close with this psalm, Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please stamp on our minds, stamp on our hearts 
echo in our ears. This picture, this, this revelation of you as you are in all your glory. Knowing that we don't need to be afraid of you because of Christ. That you are ours and we are yours. But, but that you must be properly sized so that we might not be afraid anymore or overwhelmed anymore. So Lord, strengthen us in that. Help us to see that. Help us to encourage each other in that. Help us to, to study your word with that intent. Help us to pray with that intent. Pray for each other with that intent. Help us to live in light of that, Lord. You know our weakness. You know that we, you know, within minutes of us leaving this place, we will forget. That's just who we are. But knowing who we are, Lord, we ask that, that you again would make yourself great, great in our eyes, that we would not be afraid, that we would not be overwhelmed, but that our hope would be established in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.